0: IB Talk, the global insurance industry podcast presented by Insurance Business. Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to IB Talk, the weekly global podcast brought to you by Insurance Business. I'm Paul Lucas, the managing editor of the aforementioned publication, and something we've had a very keen focus on in recent years has been the topic of diversity. We, of course, hold our Women in Insurance events around the world, something that this year has gone virtual in light of the pandemic. But there is much more to the diversity topic than gender alone, and, and that's something that we're going to be focusing on today with someone who I can say is recognized around the world for being a thought leader on diversity and inclusion. Um, she was the Global People Engagement Director for the Chartered Insurance Institute, uh, an association at which she spent more than a decade, uh, and is now the Interim Head of Inclusion and Wellbeing at the law firm Shearman & Sterling, uh, Tally Shlomo. Uh, Tali, welcome to IB Talk.
1: Thank you so much, Paul, for inviting me. Very humbled and privileged to be here with you today.
0: Thank you. So, Tally, uh, before we get into the topic at hand here, um, tell us a little bit about your background. How did you get into human resources?
1: Wow, I fell into it, is all I could say. So, I'm very fortunate. I left university not really knowing what I was going to be doing, and I managed to land a summer job and was very fortunate They sponsored me to do my uh, CIPD, and from there on I stayed for several years. It was a retail manufacturing, remember those days, Uh, way back in the 80s? I'm showing my age now, and very much uh, spent several years there starting off um, getting involved what was back then called personnel, and spent several years there, finished my uh, CIPD And from there, I started to really get a love for HR and people. I really started to appreciate how people are the main asset of the business. And that was way back then before we even spoke words like that or behaved um, in a way that was very inclusive. But it was great for me. I loved every moment of of it. It was a manufacturing organization. So From a very young age in my career, I started to travel nationwide, going to the manufacturing sites, and really started to appreciate how different roles contribute to the business. From there, I moved several places, um, telecoms, again, another uh, global, most of my roles have been global when I look back, and was responsible for the European startup for telecoms business. Fascinating uh, business and fascinating role. And from there, I moved to media, and then I arrived at the Chartered Insurance Institute. Nearly two decades later, I left. Um, It just felt like the right time. I loved every moment of being at the Chartered Insurance Institute. For me, the organization and what we stand for is fundamental and really aligns with my values, which is all about better consumer outcomes um, and supporting not only my internal colleagues at the CII, but also more broadly the market, the profession, um, both our general insurance and financial services profession, but also really working with our membership to support consumers and better consumer outcomes. And so my role at the CII over the course of nearly two decades changed and evolved, and I saw a lot of changes. And I, it was great because it, was, it meant that I can evolve, I could learn, and my passions were really enabled. I was empowered that I could make changes and diversity, some diverse inclusion, and really well-being was something that I started at the CII, what, nearly 15 years ago? I always remember doing, kind of introducing workshops on supporting managers um, with dyspraxia and dyslexia how do we support colleagues in the team when we don't even know a great deal about what is dyslexia, what is dyslexia? And so late this year, or um, earlier this year, um, late January, I left at the CII and now I'm in an interim head of inclusion um, and wellbeing role at Sherman & Sterling, a law firm.
0: Yeah, and uh, tell me, because uh, I guess from, from someone from the outside looking in, obviously um, you said it yourself, HR is a, a very people-focused role Um, but I imagine there are a lot of wonderful sides to it you know maybe you're hiring new staff you're giving people pay raises and promotions and so on Uh, but a lot of negatives too disciplinary issues firings Um, how do you deal with the sort of the the negative if you want aspects of the job
1: yeah that's a really good question so I think that for me first of all the role of HR has changed you know HR is now a strategic business function and I think if we start on that baseline that we as an hr professional are supporting the business to deliver its strategic objectives and its ambitions then like every other business function be it risk be it the cfo cmo we always have difficult decisions that we need to be made to make and i think now if we look at you know all our leaders ceos and Uh, chief people officers and chief financial officers and chief risk officers there are always difficult decisions that we need to make I think for me it comes to how we handle those decisions how you make someone feel when you do unfortunately have to um, terminate their employment or um, look at exit strategies it's how you go about it and how you hold those conversations, which is so fundamental because we always remember how someone makes us feel as opposed to what they did, um, which I think is really important. So for me, HR is about, first of all, supporting the strategic direction of the business. And if that is unfortunately having conversations with colleagues around the business to restructure and part of the organisational design, It's how we do that. And I always believe there's a silver lining and it's supporting employees that come out of that. How do we support them? So if unfortunately, as part of the organizational design, people have to leave the business, how can we support them? Can we help them look for another role? Can we support them with outplacement and and more than the standard outplacement? So I think I've always felt that when I'm, Going through an organisational design and restructures is how I support someone when they come out of that, which is really important.
0: So, can you give us um, an example then? So, you know, if if somebody, you know, if if a firm is restructuring, if there are redundancies, uh, someone's leaving the business, what sort of measures can a company uh, put into place um, to sort of support them as they as they move on?
1: So, I think first and foremost is, and I think we've seen this, you know, during the pandemic. Leading, I always talk about leading with compassion and leading with kindness. So first of all, how do we have the conversation? You know, we're, with kindness and compassion, I think it will go a long way. That's the first thing: is how do you hold a conversation? And particularly in this virtual world that we're currently in, the second one is the outplacement. We all, most of us, provide outplacement services to our colleagues who leave the business, but have we looked at how tailored it is for that individual. Some people might need more support with interview skills, some people and refreshers, some people might need more support with networking opportunities, some people might need more support with upskilling, maybe professional qualifications. It's, it's about tailoring the solution to that individual. So that they do feel we're supporting them and whilst they are leaving the business is how can we support that individual as opposed to a collective number of people who might be leaving the business. So it's looking at every individual and what they might need and in addition to all of that, more well-being support. It is very stressful for an individual when they are leaving the business. There's a lot of unknowns and Providing wellbeing support can come in many forms. It could be providing a package for counselling if they need counselling support. It could be extending their PMI support and so forth. So it's really providing a solution that is reflective for what the individual needs at that time.
0: Now you've obviously worked in HR in you know di- different platforms as we talked about. So tell us a little bit about how HR perhaps differs in insurance to other professions.
1: I think HR is the same wherever you go. I think it's you know people are people. The business is the business. It's it's the relationships that you build. It's the relationships that you build within the business internally, the board with for me it was my remuneration committee um, with my colleagues i think what's really unique and, and absolutely lovely within our profession it is a community we have a community in the insurance profession and it's leveraging and leaning into that which i think is fundamental because what we do is when we lean in and leverage into our community we learn more we get different perspectives we're able to support each other and i think Insurance is really well placed for that. We can share experiences. We can share initiatives that we are doing as HR professionals. Is, you know, coming together and sharing without disclosing confidentiality or any commercial sensitivities, we can share the key trends that are happening. And in this pandemic, it's the best time for not only HR professionals to come together with the insurance profession, but all our communities within the insurance profession. And what can we learn from each other during this time, not only to support our colleagues, but when we return back to some normality, how do we come back as a best, better version of ourselves? What risk profile have we created and developed that we can support every individual on their return to the office, if at all?
0: now you obviously rose the ranks at the CII yourself um, and I know that you obviously started out as an HR manager you became an HR director I think in 2007 and uh, from 2016 you were the global people engagement director um, tell us how those promotions came your way and, and, and indeed what advice would you give to people who you know might think that their career is is stagnant but are maybe reluctant to, to shout and put their names forward for other roles?
1: That's a really good point. Um, thank you, Paul. I think what I'd say is first of all, so I was very fortunate. Um, I just when I, every time I was asked to do something, I never said no. I went, yeah, I'll do it, even though sometimes I'd hold my stomach going, oh, How am I gonna do that? Um, the usual response of overwhelm and not you know, the imposter syndrome will kick in. You should never say no. I never said no. I always went ahead. I learned I tried my best I worked really hard always deliver always deliver and if you're not able to deliver say you can't deliver so I was I'm very transparent I'm very open if I don't know something I will ask but I will go and learn first before I say I don't know and one of the reasons I was successful and I you know was promoted several times and to stay in an organ in a very small organisation for nearly two decades, for me, it's deliver, deliver, deliver. Work hard, engage, and build relationships—not um, only within the organisation but externally—and um, just be creative. So, I'm very much about solutions.
0: So, let's delve in, in into the diversity topic if we can, because um, you're leading the the inclusion strategy at Chairman and Sterling right now. Um, where do companies start if they wanna sort of get on the right road towards, I guess you can say doing the right thing uh, where diversity and inclusion is concerned?
1: I think the first thing is first of all, I, identifying what is the difference between diversity and inclusion. So we talk so much about diversity and inclusion in one sentence. How often are we spending some time to distinguish between the two? Inclusion is the degree to which you feel your authentic self is welcomed and therefore enabling you to contribute and work in a really meaningful way. Where diversity is your protected characteristics, you know, your, your diversity strands. So I'm a woman of a certain age. I identify as ethnicity. And so that is the diversity And when we start to identify the differences, we're able to build our strategy accordingly. And we know inclusion. When there is inclusion in the workplace, because I feel welcomed, I feel that I can be my authentic best self to the workplace, we know engagement increases. And we know when engagement increases, productivity increases. And so when we start to build on that, the strategy we can start to look at, first of all, identify, do we have a diverse representation of colleagues in the business? And if we don't, what do we need to do about it? And we know there are three core pillars, attracting, retaining, promoting. And once we, when we do have a diverse pool and representation in our business, how inclusive are we? Do we take feedback from our colleagues? Are we measuring the feedback through engagement surveys? What is the culture like? We all have values. How do we measure those values? I'm just going to share some data with you because I've always find data really fascinating. I think it really helps put this into the picture. Latest McKinsey report shows that 50% of LBGT plus respondents, 45% BAME respondents, and 44% of women chose not to join a company because of a perceived lack of inclusion. Isn't that amazing? I'm not surprised. So how can we, if we take that data, how can we create, first of all, perceived inclusion on our website and the materials we've used in all communications that we have? And then how can we authentically create it internally with our colleagues?
0: Now, there's going to be a question, isn't there? I I think that this is, you know, maybe something that, that that you'll hear and I'm sure you've had to address on many times in in, in the past, but that the question around positive discrimination as as it's dubbed, um, you know, why should uh, a company hire a woman over a man or a black person over a white person? Shouldn't it all be based on merit? Um, Do you think that companies need to be thinking about quotas?
1: I think inclusion and diversity is about creating belonging. It is about creating an equal playing field and if we can create an equal playing field for everyone so when you are applying for a role we mitigate bias if you are going for a promotion we mitigate bias if you are looking to grow within your business um, either laterally or you know more up the ranks we mitigate bias I think first of all it's having a conversation to say well what is bias and how do we mitigate it and this is not about attending unconscious bias training this is really now starting to take a more deeper look into bias and how we apply our bias or how we mitigate it and the first place is vulnerability you know vulnerability is the place where we truly create belonging where we truly create empathy and we truly create creativity for our people and I would invite every organization to start looking at their risk appetite and risk profiles um, for we've had gender pay gap now we're going to have if you know I disclosed my ethnicity pay gap at the CII two years ago whilst we it's great to start disclosing because it gives clarity and focus and it starts to build action plans all we really need to do is take a look around the room. You know, Do we have people who represent uh, our BAME colleagues and ethnicity? Do we have at the top table, at the board or the uh, C-suite or our leadership table? Do we have uh, how often are people from our black colleagues promoted? There's some really good data that HR can have or should have and it's starting to work with colleagues to listen to them listen to what's working for them what's not working for them why are some of our policies still not achieving the results at the speed we're looking for
0: well let's focus in on on gender um, as one aspect of, of of this discussion um now there are Plenty of high-profile CEOs now who are women in insurance. Um, do you think the industry still has a problem with promoting women? I, I realize the numbers are, are far from even, but uh, you know, I, I guess there would some who'd say, "Well, this is a legacy issue, and we're well on the way to putting this right." Uh, how do you react to that? So a lot
1: of a lot of the issues that we face from diversity and inclusion are legacy, you, but that shouldn't stop us from accelerating progress and. We should now start to look at how we attract, retain and promote through the, through the lens of potential. The potential that an individual has and the talent that they bring as opposed to they're not ready yet. Do I feel we've made progress? Yes, absolutely. Let's Let's celebrate the progress we're making from a gender perspective. I think what I would love us now to start doing is let's look at it from an intersectionality. How many black women are being promoted? How many um, women from who identify and from a sexual orientation? How many women who may um, have a disability? And whilst we are talking about gender right now, you know, for me, diversity is very much an intersection. Let's look at black men. Let's look at men from our ethnicity. lens who a strand who are aspiring how how are we creating those opportunities for them to support them so we are making progress and I think the last few weeks have illustrated that conversations are taking place with a deeper curiosity what I would be really hoping that will happen now is that it will accelerate the actions and outcomes.
0: So I, I think that we talked about a little bit earlier, you know, about the, the issue of um, sort of you know, women putting their names forward for promotions as, as often as men and, uh, you know, perhaps needing to, to shout about their own abilities. Um, but what can companies do to kind of encourage that environment where women feel as though they can do that?
1: I think with every diverse strand of colleagues, we should give them the opportunity. when I was asked to take on a project I never said no but would I have put my hand up and said I'd like to do it absolutely not I would never have done that I would never have said let me lead on that piece of work or let me take charge of that or let me contribute to that piece of work I would never have done that Um, and there's been several examples I was involved in some amazing pieces of work that weren't had nothing to do with HR. Uh, They were more on the commercial side of the business at the CII. And great learning, had to really learn a lot quite quickly. But I was asked to do that. I was given the opportunity. And I think that's a great way to really support our diverse colleagues. And yes, women are one of those and yes, our people with disabilities are another one, and our people who who identify from our LBGT plus community and those who identify from our ethnicity community, let's invite them to participate in a project or lead on a project or get involved. Don't wait for them to ask, because only a small fraction will offer themselves to support a project or lead on a project or put their hand up and say, I'd like to lead on that. Invite them to get involved. Take the time to get them to know the people in your business. How often do leaders in the business really get to know their people? Attend focus groups, attend the meetings, have a coffee, just just a really informal coffee. Get to know people. That's why leading with compassion and kindness is so important because when we lead with kindness and compassion... We get to know people and then we start to really delve into their skills, their potential, their talents that we might not have seen. And I think the pandemic has been a really good opportunity for that. How many businesses now in, in, in in our profession have seen talent come alive in real time? And I can guarantee some of those people would not have been on our successional talent pipeline. And they could have been our introverts, the introverts who would not have spoken up and here they are helping the business work in a virtual world and now we've seen talent in real time. Let's bottle some of that magic learn from what we've experienced and how we can evolve our talent pipeline.
0: Yeah, now I I, I want to ask you because I mean you said obviously all aspects of, of diversity are in, interlinked, which I, I certainly respect. But if I can look at the sort of the element of you know sexual orientation here. Um, you know, making a company more inclusive towards gay, lesbian, bi, trans, etc. Uh, I imagine this would, in some ways, be perhaps the, the most difficult issue for a company to address because y- you can't publish a form with a box to tick asking people to, to share their sexuality. So uh, is this more about just making your firm tolerant, welcoming? And, and, and if so, how do you do that?
1: I think there's several things on that. I think, first of all, data collection is really important. And... In order to capture the data of our colleagues, we need to create a trust between us as leaders and our colleagues. And there's many ways we can collect the data on onboarding, we can collect it when you're in the business, but it's trust, and it's how do we use the data? And I think we need to be really clear and transparent on how and why we're using the data. And one way is for PayGap, the other way is to really help us get a picture of our organisation, in my first point that I made at the start was from a diversity perspective, do we have, is, is our organization's diversity um, pool representative? We will only know that if we have the data. And trust is really important because that's the inclusion piece. That's where we can start to be our authentic self, and that's when we're comfortable to share our data or share who we are. And by having the data, We're then able to narrow the gap, any gap that that might exist. And one of them could be inclusion and trust and being authentic. I think, again, we've done so much work and there's so many, you know, the partner networks in our market, it's just phenomenal. I think they're all doing amazing work. You know, we've got Link supporting our LBGT Plus um, community we have JIN for gender, we have ICANN, our multicultural, we have IDawn for disability strand and we have our families network, some amazing networks that are taking place and I would invite any leader who's listened to this podcast, please connect with them, please get involved, take the time to learn about what it's like to represent one of those diversity strands and the intersectionality around that, I think, is so fundamental.
0: Now, you're obviously a, a big proponent for, for well-being too. Um, tell me a little bit about yourself. Are uh, there steps that you take to sort of get the balance right between work and life? Oh,
1: it's so important, so important. Um, sometimes I'm not that great at it. I'm learning. I'm getting better at Paul, um, I love walking, so I can walk. 20 kilometers um easily i'm also very creative so i i kind of taken up drawing and art um which is great because it's great for just the mind, using different sides of my of my brain, just relaxing. Um, and like everyone else, right? So I used to go to the gym, no longer that. So I'm now doing Pilates um, in front of a YouTube TV, <laughs> all the online that everyone's currently doing. But yes, I think the balance is so fundamental because how can we bring our best selves if we're burnt out, if we're tired, if we're not nourishing our own well-being?
0: But how does someone cope, for example, you know, um, a deadline's thrown at them. Um, you know, they, they they need to turn around something for the next day. They have to work late or, you know, tomorrow I have to attend a meeting and it, it happens to be after hours, but my boss arranged it. I, I can't really say no. And I think we've all been in sort of situations like that where maybe we feel that, that pressure from our working environment to go beyond our hours on a consistent basis, not just on a one-off, but, you know, on, on a regular basis. Um, h- how do we kind of address that
1: well I think there's several things that's taking place right now I think the way we are working is changing and I think that will set the way we continue to work so very much an agile way of working. I think the 95 concept has always evolved but I think it's accelerated. I think the reality is there will always be occasions that we need to work late there'll always be occasions there'll be a really last minute um, urgent deadline. The more important aspect for me on that is how, how frequent does that happen? It's not sustainable that we work late every night. It's not sustainable that there's a deadline that emerges um, the, the day before. It's not sustainable that we're asked to join a meeting at 8 a.m. every day. And I think that for me is more important that we start to pay attention to and take notice Because having infrequent, tight deadlines, it's part of business. It happens. It happens to all of us. But it's when it happens on a frequent basis. I think that's when we need to start to take a deeper look and say, well, why is that? What can we do to support? And I think as managers and leaders, we need to ask ourselves, what can we do to support our colleagues? And we're all now in this environment. And I think this, this pandemic, whilst it's been very sad and it's been heartbreaking for so many different reasons I think what it has done is it's definitely created a path for us to reconsider how we work because I think this is the first opportunity that everyone has really seen that we bring so much more of ourselves to work we bring our children mentally well sometimes we walk through that front door mentally our children are with us they might not physically be there with us but mentally they're there we're worried about them they've just had their first day of school and I feel we've just now we're caring for someone who's uh, been diagnosed with a terminal illness and they're mentally they're on our minds and I think this is the first time we've really bought it alive that we are more than the individual that comes to the office.
0: Yeah, I think this has been really super informative and I, I also feel like we've just scratched the surface, but we are out of time. Um, tell me if, if somebody wants to reach out to you on the back of this, how, how can they get hold of you?
1: With pleasure. Um, LinkedIn is a really good way. So I am on LinkedIn or they can either contact you and then we can exchange details with pleasure. I'm always happy to help anyone on their D&I and and well being journey.
0: Yeah, Tali, this has been great. Thank you very, very much, um, everybody. We will be back next week with another IB Talk. Uh, I've been Paul Lucas on behalf of Insurance Business. So long, everybody. Thank you for listening to this episode of IB Talk. Follow us on SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Apple Podcasts for the latest episodes.